MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. And this... Dun, 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 is the penultimate episode where we cover the final chapter, chapter eight, called Facing the Truth, and the epilogue and the acknowledgments. I want to thank everyone again who came to the Books and Books Miami discussion with Mary Trump about the reckoning. And I always love to support local bookstores. Um, that chat is up on YouTube if you want to see it. And next week, we'll have Mary here to answer your questions, patrons' questions. You can find that link to submit a question on patreon.com slash wrote. Our next book club will cover Colonel Vindman's book, Here, Right Matters, that begins November 7th. He'll be joining us the week before Christmas to answer your questions about the series when it's over. You know, provided, Dana, that the war on Christmas doesn't just destroy us all. Destroy everything. Everything. Could happen. I mean, it really could. All right. Let's kick this off on page 158. So this is where chapter eight, Facing the Truth. And here, Mary opens with a discussion about the trauma of COVID. Now, I just want to tell all the listeners, like, this is a really great episode just about trauma in general. And I actually hope a lot of you can uh, find some comfort in some of this, but also learn from it. So this is about the the discussion about the trauma of COVID and how it mirrors individual trauma and how beginning to heal can only happen if we face our past. She opens with reminding us how in the dark we were and how uncertain our future was in the months leading up to 2020 election. And AG, I know you remember that. I, I do. And and I can sort of draw those same lines that she's talking about with personal drama, right? Absolutely. I won't forget it. Um, I won't forget it. And Dana, when you and I spoke to Mary about what it felt like to not be able to see past that wall, the wall, the, the, the election wall, um, it, it's very, very traumatic. We couldn't, there was no future. You know, and here in the book, she talks about how we we would be looking at a mental health crisis that we were uh, and are woefully unprepared for. And she wondered how we could emerge and how should we emerge from COVID and how none of us would really, despite our wealth or privilege or station, that none of us would really escape unscathed. Absolutely. She actually says here that trauma, and this is a quote from the book, can never be outrun but it is a human impulse to try and that we tend to resist isolation, like literal and figuratively we resist it because we can't handle, we we can't hide from our feelings. And when you're isolated, that's what happens. And this is another quote, being trapped in the place in which you're being traumatized is its own version of hell. Think about that. If you're isolated, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And I so feel that because like the first month of lockdown, especially March, just endless right and as someone with ptsd 
I couldn't distract myself from my invasive and destructive thoughts. I couldn't go out and go to comedy shows and hang out with friends and keep my mind busy. I had to sit there with my own thoughts. And, and Mary goes on here to talk about how time started to move differently. She says, quote, it collapsed in on itself. It expanded past the point of absurdity. It stopped. Yeah. And when you talk about having to face like your own shit in isolation, Mary quotes clinical psychologist Denise Hine here. She says, stress is a part of our human condition. But when stress threatens our ability to cope, our basic sense of identity we call that traumatic stress. So it's trauma. I'm basically on top of trauma at this point. And because everything we went through for the, the first, however many years of his administration, not to mention our own lives. So now we have this trauma on top of trauma. And, you know, though we all experienced trauma in varying degrees, there was no uniformity on how to respond to it. Yeah. And that's kind of a big deal. Um, it's a very big deal. Mary points this out. She says it's so much easier to get through something together, right? When you don't feel alone. We've talked about this so many times on the podcast, Dana, on uh, here and the Daily Beans. Not feeling alone when in isolation is one of the things we can cling to to feel anchored. Um, that and time. <laughs> right? Right. Knowing there's an ending. Both of which were elusive, mainly because Donald pitted us against one another in our isolation and politicized the entire thing, politicized COVID. And then and then she talks about what happened, like, how, how do we even cope with that? Like, what happens next? Totally. So at this, she, at this point, she points out that traumatic time destroys in both directions. And think about this for a second. The past and the present. Okay? We have this need to forget and move on and push it down. She says, the pull to forget is even stronger than the pull to run, but forgetting makes us complicit with the trauma we're trying to escape. That's, it's hard. It's hard to it's, deal with that truth, you know? Yeah. Like being complicit in your own shit. Uh, and we can all relate to it, right? Stuffing down your feelings never resolves them. They fester and they eventually come to the surface in some sort of psychological, psychological or physiological way, like panic attacks or hypertension, stress, insomnia, heart disease, you name it. You know, I spent years and years pretending I was fine and that made me complicit in the, in the trauma and it just culminated into massive problems later down, you know, down the road. Totally. I can feel mine physically. Like I've had back injuries, my, my life, bad accidents. And when I'm in that space, my body tells me, mm -hmm. you know, so that's why we have to look back and we have to deal with the past. Now, whether it's acknowledging what we went through with COVID or acknowledging what our democracy endured the last, you know, the past few years or confronting our nation's past atrocities, all of those things that can't be ignored in the interest of just moving forward or simply forgetting because we'll never heal from it. Yeah. And she, and it, that's why I was, why it was such a big deal to me, Dana. Like I was screaming at the top of my lungs last Friday when Biden said he wasn't going to, uh, you know, he, I'm, I, no executive privilege for you. I'm releasing these documents. Uh, yeah. that was such a huge sign in the, I'm not forgetting what you did. Yep. I'm not forgetting. And she says here, quote, but as seductive as it is, wiping out chapters in our history, individual or collective, leaves future generations vulnerable. We know this, right? Only remembering will heal us. Maybe it will even set us free. Um, and that was just such a very powerful part. And I, I really encourage if you if you don't have the book, if you haven't read this part, if you have, I mean, read the whole thing. But this particular chapter just pulls it all together and makes so many important points. It's just so well written, Dana. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, we do need to take one quick break. Just the one. Um, if you want to add free episodes, you know, patron time. 
hit it up. Patron but, uh, time. Do it. <laughs> but we'll be right back. We're going to pick up on page 162 on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's show is brought to you by Wealthfront. A lot of investment apps make it easy to start trading, but just because it's easy doesn't mean you know what you're doing. And I don't mean you don't know what you're doing. I mean you don't know what you're investing in. And that's what makes Wealthfront different. They make it easy to invest, and they make it easy to get smarter about investing. You can start with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or make your own with socially responsible funds, crypto trusts, and hundreds of other investments. Either way, they'll set you up in minutes with a portfolio you can count on for the long term. Wealthfront was designed Designed by financial experts to help turn your good ideas into great investments without the hassle of doing everything yourself. And you're protected from unnecessary risk because your portfolio is diversified across asset classes. And if you don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill, they help you do that too. Not sure how to rebalance your portfolio or what that even is? They do it automatically. Wealthfront is awesome. It's trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. Get your first $5,000 managed for free at wealthfront.com slash book club. It takes just a minute to start building your wealth. That's wealthfront.com slash book club. Again, go to wealthfront.com slash book club to get started today. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thank you for allowing me that quick break. On to page 162. And this is where Mary starts to draw parallels between President Wilson's handling of the 1918 pandemic and Donald's handling of COVID. She talks here about how Wilson didn't issue a single public statement on the influenza pandemic in 1918, despite hundreds of thousands of people dying. He refused to halt troop mobilization, allowing the, the virus to spread in the, in the United States and overseas. And what she says, perhaps, is the most remarkable thing about the 1918 pandemic, the complete silence that followed. Yeah, and that ties her into her earlier discussions about ignoring the past. She says that kind of neglect or cultural interdiction against speaking about one's traumatic experiences itself causes trauma. If we're not talking about this shit, how can we ever heal from it? Mary reminds us that no matter how hard we as individuals or as a nation try to compartmentalize trauma, it simply can't be done. And it's compounded when it occurs over time. Yeah. And you can trust me on this. <laughs> it, yeah. can, it cannot be done. Uh, she says one of the worst things that was done to us during the 2020 um, COVID problem was the purposeful attempt to divide us, which took away our feeling of being together, right? A feeling less isolated, as she mentioned before, or feeling validated even in, in our trauma, all critical to healing. But that divisiveness per uh, perpetrated by Donald suited his purposes. And so if we want to heal, we have to resist the calls to look to the future and not look at the past. Yeah. And I think it's different, you know, across the country. And I don't know if you had this experience, but like we were in California we had complete lockdown. And so our PTSD and our trauma from this is different than people let's say in Florida that nothing ever shut down. Mm -hmm. And so you've got these two people in the same country that are now having different traumatic experiences within the same trauma. It's very, very interesting. So what the point you just said, and as a society, as a country, we have to resist the desire to try and bury, you know, bury this and compartmentalize what we're feeling. She said the impact of unacknowledged trauma can be catastrophic at both the personal and societal levels. And by failing to invest in the infrastructure necessary to prevent or at least mitigate these kinds of disasters in the future, we leave ourselves open to long-term damage that could be irreparable. Yeah, that's so interesting how she says, hey, it's not just psychological at this point. We literally need the physical fucking infrastructure in place Absolutely. to prevent this from happening again. And if we don't deal with what we've been through psychologically, it'll happen to us again. And one of my favorite quotes 
uh, Dana, going back years, um, this isn't from the book, it's just from somebody on Twitter. They say, in a world of performative cruelty, kindness is punk AF, right? Be punk AF. And yeah. Mary here talks about the cultivation of performative cruelty over the past five years. We're on the bottom of page 165. You know, the whole the fuck your feelings crowd. Yep. Uh, but that rugged individual individualism, which she spoke of in earlier chapters, it goes hand. It's like as a basis for the myth of white supremacy. It goes hand in hand with the myth that kindness somehow makes you weak. Uh, but Mary says here it actually fortifies it. Exactly. And as she says here, that basically as a society without kindness, it's about as tenable as an actual relationship without kindness, because that's what it is. It's just on a, it's on a massive scale. And that Biden has, he has a once in a generation opportunity to address our nation's psychological well-being while also demonstrating how effective good government can be. And honestly, AG, I know that he was the right guy for this time. You know, he knows loss, he knows trauma. And then she looks into the future a bit here. She reminds us that however important we thought the 2020 election was, and we all did every time this is the election of our lifetime, 2022 and 2024 will be even more consequential. And that fundamental change is required. We cannot go back to where we were. Right. And, and not simply reconstruction, but a, she says a total reimagining of our potential yeah. as a country and as Americans and individuals. And that's, and that's where the discussion of reparations comes to bear. She says the original sin might not be our fault, but it remains our burden. Such a good quote. Oh, my oh, God. I know it rips my heart out. So and, good. And despite strides in civil rights, failure to confront our past has kept this country racist. And here is, you know, speaking of the word racist, she says language matters here. Saying we're not racist sends the wrong message. It's like saying, oh, cops, there's a few bad apples. You know, uh, clinging to the notion that we don't face systemic racism keeps us vulnerable to authoritarians that try to use it to divide us. Yes. And Mary asks here, right here, if we're going to make real change or just keep kicking the can down the road, that's the question. She said, if we want to create a society in which there really is equal justice for all, we've got to level the playing field and dismantle every part of our system that grants white Americans unearned privilege at the cost of oppressing others. And as long as we ignore the disenfranchisement, nothing will change. <sighs> And that brings us, yeah, it, that, and even stronger here is is this epilogue. She talks about the Derek Chauvin conviction, the murder yeah. of George Floyd, and how uh, pundit Jason Johnson said, what this says to me, the conviction, all guilty on all three counts, what this says to me is that in order to get a nominal, nominal degree of justice in this country, a black man has to be murdered on air, viewed by the entire world. There would have to be years worth of protests and a phalanx of other white police officers to tell one white officer he was wrong. All of that in order to get a scintilla of justice. That's powerful and true. And the powerful last line here, and just listen, it's time for us to put our bodies on the line. It's time for us to listen. It's time for us to kneel. It is time for us to kneel. Yeah, it is that's, so important. That's there's I, there's so much meaning in that. There's so many meanings. I know. In that, it, it, enough is enough, and it's got to be as a country. It can't be, you know, just one black football player deciding he's had enough and he's going to try and make the change in society, and especially the football league says no. 
Kaepernick was right. And I know it didn't start with him, but that was when it started to really get, you know, that kneeling of the national anthem and taking a knee and really making a symbolic physical gesture saying, you know, in, in, you know, in certain terms, I stand with you by kneeling. Yeah. And, and now, Mary, I feel like there's this second meaning subsumed in this, meaning we, we have to kneel figuratively yeah to this and to our past uh yeah 100 percent. Uh, just so good she's such a good writer and she's so smart i mean we have the pleasure of knowing her on a personal level but her the way her brain works and her ability to deep dive into information and to look at the history of our country and to give a shit and for a white cis woman to write a book that she knew she knew was going to challenge other white people to look at themselves and upset a lot of white people. To me, that is a courageous thing to do. Yeah. She's, she's spitfire. Yeah. Love her. We all love her. We do. And to know her is to love her. And I mean, I guess you have to be growing up in that family. No kidding. With, with any scintilla to use that word of scruples. Um, and you know, I, I, I imagine that, you know, it was the same for her father. And I mean, you, you have to, you have to be able to, to see those things. And, and she just does so clearly, but her, her ability to articulate it is what I think yeah. is, is so important. I think what else was amazing. We've talked about this, you know, I've spoken about this cause, and this may surprise people sometimes, you know, we don't feel, I know you've expressed this. I've expressed this. Are we doing enough? Are we doing enough? And even Mary, you know, expresses that and, to, to go through, like you just said, the trauma that she went through in her family and her life, and then to be able to write not one, but two books, two books. And I do believe that at some point this is going to be a trilogy, but two books taking on the trauma of this country while dealing with your own. It's magnificent. Warrior. Uh, we wanted to touch on some of the acknowledgements. Um, St. Martin's press. Jennifer, Jennifer Enderlin, George Witt, Kevin Riley, Alan Branshaw, George Villapeak, awesome name, and Adriana Coada, Michelle McMillan, Michael Storings, Nicholas Eichelback, Paul Hockman, Martin Quinn, Gabriel Gantz, and Tracy Guest. Um, and some folks from UTA, Jennifer Rohrer, Mark Paskin, Pilar Queen, the rest of the amazing team. And then she, uh, she thanks Ben Stiller and Nikki Weinstock for an incredible opportunity. Sarah Soleimani for taking the journey with her. Um, Sylvia Rabineau and William Morris Endeavor for making it happen. A group of extraordinary women uh, who deepened her understanding, including Ruth Ben Giat. I think I'm pronouncing it. It might be Gite or Gate. Uh, Rosa Brooks, Mike Yoyang, uh, Lori Garrett, who I loved. I uh, loved meeting her. Dennis Hine, Susan Apato, Kavina Patel, and Maya Wiley former mayoral candidate of New York, who's amazing. Yeah. Uh, then here, here you go, Dana, to new friends who've helped make this indescribable year more bearable. Uh, Brad Berkwit, Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, Renee Stubbs, Joyce Vance, E. Jean Carroll, Jennifer Taub, and Katie Fang for inviting me into the inner circle of knitting. And also E. Jean for her courage. Very sweet. We are in good company. And she says, if she missed anyone, please forgive me. But because of COVID, I haven't met most of you. <laughs> to Annie Champion for being an amazing friend, Ted Boutros, Robbie Kaplan for being a total badass, uh, John Quinn, Alexander Rodney for their amazing work, Sue Craig, uh, Russ Butner for continuing to do extraordinary investigative journalism, uh, Sue, I will be forever grateful you knocked at my door. 
And then also got to reconnect with some old friends, Wendy Fertile, Denise DeWald, uh, Lana Fiorentino, Judy Gold, who I love, Brian Gilman, mm-hmm. Helene Hearns, Alan Leibowitz, uh, Reshmi Paul, Pam Perlman, Gabby, Rocky, and Julie Richards, Suzanne Shavelston, Nicole Sherman, Kelly Sullivan, and Kate Samansky. I'm sorry if I'm butchering any of these names. And then, of course, and to my daughter, Avery, who never ceases to make me proud of who she is. I love you, Avery. So sweet. Just a truly, truly incredible book. Buy it. Let's knock Tucker Carlson off the list. And what do we have next week, AG? Next week, we get to talk to the author herself, Mary Trump. She's going to answer your questions. If you're a patron, you can submit them at patreon.com slash Muller She Wrote. There should be a form or something on there. I'll make sure the producer gets that up there if, if uh, it puts it back up at the top of the feed. Uh, and uh, yeah, just submit your questions and, and we'll answer them. Um, it's going to be going to be a good time. Always a pleasure to talk to Mary. Always is. Always a pleasure to do this with you as well. Yes. Thank you. You too. Uh, and just a quick note that the week after um, the Mary Trump comes to answer your questions, we will be off for a week, but we will be back the following week, November 7th. So we're off Halloween because we have to go you know, do Halloween things. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, and then November 7th, we're going to start up again with uh, Colonel Vinman's book called here, right matters. So that'll be fun. So good. So good. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks to everybody. I appreciate you, Dana. Love you. And, uh, we'll talk tomorrow on the beans. Let's do it. Love you back. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm Allison Gill and I'm Dana Goldberg. And this is the Muller She Wrote book club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.